Welcome to the Hologram Media Club. I'm Will. Nerd! And I'm Gavin. God, what a dork. We're a book club for the 21st century. The newest wonder of the 21st century. We'll focus on sci-fi, fantasy, and speculative fiction audiobooks. Books are for squares. But we'll get into all sorts of geeky stuff. It's dorky. I'm aware that it's dorky. Each episode, we'll discuss a book, then recommend a new book to discuss on the next episode. Talk to us on any social media, or even better, join us on an episode and share your thoughts. With the nerds and the geeks? Welcome to another episode of the Hologram Media Club podcast. We're here at episode 19, and we're uh, loving things. Sitting with us, as usual, Gavin and Aaron. Hey there. Hello. Yes, and uh, today... And you are? uh, Will. William. (laughs) Wilbur. You can call me whatever. (laughs) (laughs) They let me in here. I had a ticket. (laughs) Just don't call them late for dinner. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um... (laughs) Sunday dinner. Um, Oh, that's right. Today, yeah, today is Sunday, and uh, we're doing this in the afternoon, so might be a little bit different here. Hear some afternoon in our voices. That's right. But we're going to be reviewing the book Rendezvous with Rama by Arthur C. Clarke, Mm -hmm. written in uh, 1973, and there will be spoilers. So if you haven't read the book yet, Definitely go check that out before proceeding with us. And this was my book choice. It's a book that I read back in high school. It was recommended to me by an older a friend of my older brother who knew I was into sci-fi at the time. And at the time, I only got maybe five chapters in before I kind of put it down. I came back to it maybe a half summer later. I don't know why right off the bat, it didn't grab me. I think because I got almost to where they make it inside the craft that we're going to be exploring. And uh, Mm. when I got in there, I just was underwhelmed at first. Mm. And so I'm interested to see what you guys think, but reading it again, you know, coming back to it several months later, I, I really enjoyed it. And then I've read it again. I listened to it as an adult. Uh, in the audiobook form, maybe a few years ago, and approached it with completely different eyes and had a, a very different take on it. So um, I think just having more experience behind uh, different books and yeah. interactions with other uh, alien civilizations, this different take on it, I think. I guess coming back to it was so fresh again that I really enjoyed it. And so that's why I kind of chose it for this podcast and very interested to see what you guys have to think. I liked it. Um, I've read other Clark and uh, he is very dry. He, um, I think he's a very ideas based author. He doesn't really go in. I haven't read everything by Clark, but everything that I've read by Clark is very, um, science-based and very big idea grand idea based and he explores those ideas much more than like a character development there's not a tremendous amount of subtext in my yeah i mean in a lot of ways i think the uh the characters were kind of interchangeable um yeah definitely yeah yeah Yeah, very that's very dry not as a complaint but just as a a thing like i went when i finished this the first listen through i went back and redid 2001 because I was mm-hmm. curious to just get another view of something slightly earlier. Um, and this is in 2001 is obviously influenced by Kubrick because they did the, both projects at the same time. But it, again, it was very like you could take out almost any character and plug it in with another. Right. Mm-hmm. And have sort of the same experience, but very grandiose ideas, which was really cool, just different than what I'm used to, a totally different style. So it was fun to have something different. That was definitely. My experience. Yeah, this was I. I'm pretty sure this is the first Clark that I've read. Um, huh. And uh, as this read through, or had you read this before at another time? No, I had never read this. Okay. I never read this before. Oh, nice. any other. Huh. Yeah. Cool. Um, so Arthur Cherry. I did appreciate. 
a lot of it and I saw, I could kind of see, you know, where this, where this influenced other things that I'd read. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think also, it, won the, I, it won the Hugo, Hugo and, and Nebula, Nebula that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's very um, influential. Yeah. But I, and I think I've mentioned this to Gavin, I could also see the influence of, or at least a similarity to at the mountains of madness by HP Lovecraft in this, which of course that came, you know, in the twenties sometime. Um, I haven't read that. I'm, I am so neglectful on Lovecraft. Like, I'm, eh, I mean, I have a, I have a audio collection of his yeah. that I haven't really listened to. I haven't given the time to it. There but, are, there are definitely some stories that are worth, yeah, I just don't to. know there's, which one. Like, I know right. there's some good ones, and I know there's some ones that are just like meh and whatever else. Yeah. And I, I don't know what that is. So I got a collection, hoping that would be all the good ones, <laughs> but I haven't given it the time yet. Which the is funny because everybody it, but... knows Lovecraft, everybody knows Cthulhu and the old gods and all this. And I'm on a Facebook group that like celebrates Cthulhu, and it's <laughs> weird. It's on borderline tentacle porn. Is basically poser, poser. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally. You know, I am. I'm a bandwagoner. Well, <laughs> that's the thing, though, is that you know, so much of what he wrote initially was expanded on by a lot of other people that he corresponded with so so much of what makes up the you know the cthulhu mythos is uh other people is work. done by other people yeah um right. so you know that the the interesting thing though is going through at the mountains of madness i listened to a recording of that after i listened to this because i kept it it just kept making me think of it and as dry as rendezvous with rama was at the mountains of madness was even more so really yeah and that wow. i mean that's a that's like a tech complaint that's often right? leveled at <laughs> at lovecraft you know his, his stories are often told at at least one level of remove oh, okay. you know it's it's right someone reading an account written by someone who heard a story from someone you know <laughs> like that's funny huh product yeah. of its time too from the 20s the different language right right yeah well and you can't really support the guy right i mean he was like xenophobic and horribly yeah. racist yeah, or exactly. at least an, at least anti-semitic so there's yeah <laughs> yeah not that i'm encouraging piracy but there's plenty of his stuff on youtube if you're well it's all in public it. domain now anyway yeah right so. yeah there's plenty of ways around it so yeah i know um i can't think of the guy's name china china something he wrote rat king or King Rat, and then did the, um, he sort of started the genre of, quote, new weird. He did all this really okay. crazy stuff, but he won the he won the Lovecraft Award, and apparently on his bookshelf, he's got it turned around the other way. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He's like, yay, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that's him. I could have my authors mixed up, but I think that's him. But that's funny. Really? Real quickly before I get into the book a little more, what was the name of that genre you said? New Weird? Called New Weird, I think. New but I, it's probably like not a genre that exists outside of like maybe 12 books or something. China, <laughs> I think it's, I want to say Melville, but I don't think that's how you actually pronounce it. Yeah. But he's got some yeah. really There's... neat stuff. He's got some really, really cool stuff. King Rat is not like the rest of the, his writings. The rest of his <laughs> stuff is really wild second universe like really wild stuff iron council is all about this society that lives on a train that just lays its own tracks and just goes on forever and ever and ever pretty wild hmm. really wild shit really wild interesting stuff. sounds like Snowpiercer kind of in a, a way bit. or uh a bit but much much weirder or that one wallace <laughs> and gromit yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's a great show animation some of those old ones where they go yeah. to the moon and it's all made of cheese yeah cheese. I, well and then you get into <laughs> sean the sheep we used to watch sean the sheep religiously too mm-hmm. same ardman ardman entertainment same animation studio <laughs> um, speaking man. of trains we're now completely derailed i know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. back on it so uh yeah. before we get into it too far uh, i guess i'll do it my 60 second synopsis all right. put myself on the the hot 
yep. Cole's here because I haven't practiced or rehearsed or anything. So let me know when we're ready and I'll do my best. I'm ready. Just type typed in an hour, ten minutes, one minute. All right. Okie dokie. Rendezvous with Rama uh, starts off kind of in the f- near future, maybe 100 or 200 years in the future, uh, 2200 or so roughly. Um, maybe even before that with the Earth early missile defense system that finds uh, asteroids and such, and they end up encountering a weird object that uh, looks to be artificial after more analysis in they're able to send, uh, luckily, a team, uh, I believe a captain of the Endeavor, to go explore this object, this artificial object, after doing lots of um, analysis on the outside of it. They kind of approach it in a way, and from there, we're able to eventually get inside this ship and um, come in contact with kind of a weird uh, drone-like futuristic non-human species and then the spaceship goes off into infinity and it's gone (laughs) so yeah more or less did my best there uh, but it's (laughs) i didn't want to get too in depth into it because i want to explore more of the approach with you guys of what you thought um i know that we were texting throughout the week and aaron you said that this was mentioned to be a horror space novel and i don't well, know cos- did you guys cosmic I, horror after i got cosmic to the end horror. of it i uh yeah i definitely saw the 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 cosmic horror nature of it in that this is something not built by humans not intended for humans and even by the end of it its purpose is a complete mystery yeah um and yeah. and to the extent of its power is a complete mystery. Like, right, right. Yeah. And did you like that? Like this power ended up purpose. being a mystery. I did, uh, and I, in fact, I, within the last like, I don't know, ten or fifteen minutes, um, my opinion on the book as a whole shifted wildly, hmm. uh, because there. So you have these. Um, the the religious fanatics that you know believe like jesus was an alien oh or like the, the what was it the cosmic christ or something cosmic christ right <laughs> and so they they have determined that uh you know this is this is an ark that's been sent to save them and almost until the last minute it looks like that's what it's going to be because it is starting to you know oh it's it's coming to life it's it's slowing down it's going to to become part of our solar system and then, nope, it's just doing a slingshot around the sun and it's going off <laughs> onto whatever else, you know, whatever else its its true purpose is. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed that, that shift. Um, I do think, I do think it would have been better if that last chapter had been cut. So the last chapter is kind of uh, reflections by the captain um and his you know he's sending a letter to his two wives on mm-hmm. earth and mars um and i i don't really i don't really feel like that helped things at all uh, i think it it had it ended right before that well, I think the very, very ending was the the Ramans always do things in three, right? Like that was the the final words of the thing. Well, sure, and that was basically that just seemed like a setup right. for two more books, you know. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. well, I enjoyed, I I like the idea of that. It was like somebody realized, oh shit, like this this really like everything they do is in threes, and that kind of it does set you up for another book, but it's also it lends itself to that cosmic horror, like oh, sh- what's the next ship going to be? Is it going to be just as banal as this one, or is it going to be? more malignant or something or is the last ship going to park here and the other two keep going right just kind of i mean it opens it up for other books but it does it lends itself to that cliffhanger horror kind of yeah watch out there's another one coming and so there i mean there were other indications throughout that there would be more and i mean number one obviously we we don't really get any kind of uh 
resolution on so much of it. You know, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's so many things that are still a mystery by the end of it. Um, but I think the one that, the thing that stood out to me the most was uh, Chekhov's simps. So the, <laughs> the super chimps that are introduced and get like an entire chapter <laughs> devoted to yeah. describing them and how they came to be. And, and then they're never heard from again. They serve, I have, they serve no purpose in the story at all. None whatsoever. And we learned a lot about them. But I do right. have one of one of the things that I noticed, and I don't know if this is a real complaint, but I am going to bitch about this a little bit. He calls them monkeys. Chimps aren't monkeys, they're apes. And if they're combined with humans, they're still apes because we're apes. So they're Well, not no, he did say that the that the name had stuck because they they were thought of as chimps, but they weren't actually, they were actually monkeys. Oh, were they the monkeys? Yeah. Not okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's fine. I'll let them off the hook. Then. Yeah. That's fine. I'm so, not going to let them off the hook for introducing something that had no purpose though. Oh yeah. No, totally. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean he fucked that one completely <laughs> up. Yeah. That was, like, and that's what, I was, like, I couldn't yeah. tell if it was supposed to be set up for something that would pay off in later books. And he already had that intention, but I mean, the, it didn't necessarily sound like it because the later Rama books were written with someone else. Right. And it sounded like that other person had a lot more to contribute to those because they went further into characterization, hmm. um, things like that. And then the other person wrote even two more books after that without Clark. Okay. Uh, I think it, with, with him kind of right. Like Gentry Lee, they were in the guy but, from Rush. Not getting. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I think he wrote most of the Gentry Lee wrote like ninety percent of them, and it was just Clark's right. ideas and stuff like that. Possibly, pretty much just Clark enough to get his name on the book. Yeah, mm-hmm. and some royalties or something. Even the addition of the Space Guild, you could argue, was maybe just a didn't have to be there. Like having the plantation on Mercury and. Like I guess all of that type of stuff you. I found didn't that kind necessarily of have to have that. I, I liked that because it was more world building. So that's why I was saying like even the addition of the ape was just. I don't hate that that was included just because or the monkey well, because it, it was well, just they had some purpose. They just yeah they just didn't have a purpose. They were it was Chekhov's gun. It's exactly what Aaron's saying. They were yeah. it was you devoted this time to explain that. And then it was just never, there was no payoff. There was no payoff to it. And like, I mean, really it was just like, Hey, if you guys are thinking about how do you keep the ship clean? This is how we keep the ship clean. Like it was, it was like the, it yeah. they really amounted, they really amounted to the line in, uh, MS, in, a, in the MST three K intro. Yeah. If you're worried about how to eat and sleep, don't worry about it. It's just a show. Like, right. Just... right. I would argue the whole book is zero payoff though. If you think about it, because they're exploring well, I, the ship and, and then the true. End. Well, true. yeah. And that's part of the dryness of it. There's a whole different, like I say, Clark tends to write on grand ideas and the, yeah. the thought about what if we had a cylinder that was spinning whatever it was four times a minute or four times a, I think it was like four times a minute whatever it was to actually like talk about the architecture of the ship that seemed to be where he got his enjoyment not necessarily in the minutia of the day to day on the ship or the minutia of what is a ship's actual purpose but really just mm-hmm. the idea of like creating a ship and making it sustainable over a long period of time Mm-hmm. which very sciencey. I mean, there's a lot of science in this science fiction rather yeah, than absolutely. some of the other stuff we've read, which is like, there's no science. It's all just kind of like, Character. Oh, don't worry about how it happened. That's not really important. Like, like the Baba verse. Like it's, Oh yeah, we can talk faster than light. It's all good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like this focused on the other stuff. So. And I like yeah. that even though it was science driven, it wasn't ever to a point where you felt like it dredged on or like you were, you couldn't keep up with the science. I don't think that he was ever yeah. presenting ideas that didn't like, that seemed too far fetched. And like right. in a way that was the, the drive, driving factor of the story as opposed to characters, like you said, so that, that, you know, something would happen and they'd have to figure out how do we get around this gravity or, or the right. sheer, what do, we, what do we do when the size uh, of this object yeah, the ice well, is melted, you know, and now suddenly there's going to be a hurricane inside. Like, 
<laughs> yeah and like yeah that, that was great and in real world problems of like how do you it's it's almost like he imagined this ship and then he just talked it out through a book of how mm-hmm. it would work like how do you make the airlock work like all the way from the beginning of the airlock like how would you make an airlock work and he just went through it logically through the steps and just instead of just drawing pictures of it he told a story about it yeah. and then added some other stuff in it and whatnot and i i did enjoy it i thought it was really good it's just very dry i did yeah. have some trouble with the stairway and the ladder at first i had to pause it and listen to that a couple of times to try to catch up like what would that look like but that probably because of the like i'm driving most of the time when i'm listening so it's yeah. hard to imagine a stairway and not crash so <laughs> yeah that's the sort of thing that uh if you get it get a little bit too much into that can really give you some vertigo. Yeah. Um, yeah. And especially as they, you know, talk about the lights when the lights finally come on and they can see the, uh, the you know, this, this yeah, sea that fills yeah. the, the middle of it and yeah, the water curving up and over your head and trying right. to imagine that it's not going to fall on you. Yeah. Standing at the bottom of a pit, right. Yeah. Looking up like one, right. Yeah. Saying, like I'm standing at the bottom of a 50 kilometer yeah. thing looking yeah. up and then somebody but else now is I'm, like now i'm at the top of it now i'm at now the I'm top the and i feel like it. i'm gonna fall in and yeah it yeah. can get you dizzy just listening to it yeah so, absolutely that was i think some of the dryness wasn't helped by the narrator peter yes gain him Gan- Gan- he, yeah what uh, excellent yeah. narrator i think he did a good job and he read it very dry that i don't know that helped yeah i would agree <laughs> that's I don't it know was... what I, I don't think an animated somebody more animated somebody that got really excited. I don't know that would have helped. Right. But yeah, it was weird. And well, neither <laughs> neither of you guys listen to the radio play, right? Right. Or will you said you listen to a listen to portions. Yeah, here and there. Okay. Yeah, so different. It was, it was totally different. I want to get into that in a second, but just listening to those voices, I don't feel like lent more but Peter's narration didn't, it was, it was hard to get excited. Yeah. You it know? was like a dry documentary from the 1980s, almost or like early nineties. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. No, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Right. I'll, we'll put a clip of that here. Norton did not even have time to check his ascent or to call a warning to his men. Everything happened in less than a second. In a soundless concussion of light, dawn burst upon Rama. The light was so brilliant that for a full minute Norton had to keep his eyes clenched tightly shut. Then he risked opening them and stared through barely parted lids at the wall a few centimeters in front of his face. He blinked several times, waited for the involuntary tears to drain away, and then turned slowly to behold the dawn. He could endure the sight for only a few seconds, then he was forced to close his eyes again. It was not the glare that was intolerable. He could grow accustomed to that. But the awesome spectacle of Rama, now seen for the first time in its entirety— Norton had known exactly what to expect. Nevertheless, the sight had stunned him. He was seized by a spasm of uncontrollable trembling. His hands tightened around the rungs of the ladder with the violence of a drowning man clutching at a life belt. The muscles of his forearms began to knot, yet at the same time his legs, already fatigued by hours of steady climbing, seemed about to give way. If it had not been for the low gravity, he might have fallen. And this is, this is one of the things, um, and I, I thought about at the mountains of madness too, with this is, you know, this is, so Morgan Freeman has been trying to get a movie made of this for like 20 years. I th- like about as long as uh, Gilliam's been trying to do Don Quixote. Right. <laughs> um, and Guillermo del Toro has been talking about or trying to do at the mountains of badness for, for many years as well. And both of them are kind of, you know, have been in various stages of development hell, right. but 
in both cases, because so much of the book is of both of these are given over to descriptions of these landscapes, they really are ripe for for a film adaptation. I mean, show don't tell. Instead of having to have so much of it given over to this narration, if you can actually show that, yeah, I think how amazing that would be. It, if you get yeah. the right author, and I'm thinking, I'm, I can't think of the guy's name. We just talked about him. I'm thinking of the guy that did Under the Skin, the movie. Like, if there's a guy that you want to yeah, have right. a scene shot of just somebody walking around a a circle for a five minute, sh- or not a five minute shot, but like literally a 45 <laughs> second static shot, he could probably yeah. do. It. But it's going to be Villeneuve, right? It sounds like it's going to mm-hmm. be Villeneuve uh, directing. Currently, it. yeah, you know whether it- which. Whether it really does happen, we'll see. But yeah, that's that's who's I haven't. Tap. I personally haven't seen anything from Bill New that let me down. So right. I have high hope. I have high hopes for it. I like what he did with Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, twenty forty nine, right? I mean, goddamn, like oh, so good. <laughs> He's proven he can handle massive landscapes. I think that was too. Yeah, the thing that got me the second read around the first time, I never even got through the airlocks. I think just being. I don't know. I had other sure. more exciting books to get, get onto like it, that grabbed you right off the beginning. And so sure. this, yeah. you know, yeah. that second time around months later, the sheer magnitude of when they get into that. And like you said, Aaron, the first time the lights flicker on just mm-hmm. picturing that in your mind, be, putting yourself into the mind of whoever the, the guy was down there, imagining like you said, vertigo and your heartbeat and taking that whole landscape in, having no clue that that would have been there before. Yeah. Just, just and, yeah, took me away. Before the lights come on and they're, you know, using flares or whatever and, and how little they illuminate of this enormous space. Yeah. Um, I can really imagine how terrifying that might be. Right. Like 50, 50 kilometers is what? Like roughly 30 miles. So yeah, I'm not good at my conversions for that. <laughs> I think it's, I'm not either, but That's I think it's right. basically, I think it was like, I think it was like 15 miles wide and like 30 miles long, essentially. If like, if we have to get into the Imperial measurements. Right. Um, but you couldn't even see 50 miles. Yeah. Like you can't, yeah. like, I mean, maybe in the right conditions on a clear mountain day, you know, in the dead middle of winter when the atmosphere is, you know, that's, that's an immense space to try to, illuminate with a couple of flares like a million candle power is not much so you get this sense and they said we have um it feels like a vast space before the lights come on before they do anything other than just have their flashlights on their helmets or whatever they're Mm -hmm. like it feels like a really big space but that doesn't begin to describe the amount of space that you're talking about it it really i mean you talked about the uh the ladders which go from you know kind of the the center of the the cylinder out to the edge yeah, and them navigating that in darkness. And, you know, do you really have a feel for how far you've gone? And as you're descending it, you can start to feel the change in the gravity from the, right. from the spin. That's gotta be um, wild. Right. Yeah. I, I found all of like that happened really or whatever intriguing. it was like, yeah, that yeah. was just like, wow, that's nuts, dude. Yeah. yeah try not to go too fast to overshoot just go flying yeah. off <laughs> right right not falling i mean it jimmy ends up jumping off right he goes he jimmy crashes his little bike thing and then has to jump <laughs> off into the poison water but like falling downstairs that would suck dude because you'd just be like oh this is fun i'm weightless but then you'd start getting heavier and it would just start getting more horrifying like man i'm really gonna get fucked up and just be aware of it as you're tumbling down like this is gonna start hurting worse and worse right like that would be a really uncomfortable feeling yeah the uh the the parts with jimmy on his uh little ultralight bike plane thing um that was that was where i spaced out a little bit <laughs> um, yeah it's just his descriptions of flying around in it um, yeah and i you know i get the idea that as you get closer to the central axis of the spin it's it takes less effort and it's easier and then as you get descend from that it gets harder um, right. suck you down yeah yeah 
But well, I loved when he yeah. got Weird. to the other end and he got to those electric towers, you know, the, the six uh-huh. pillars and the he spires. was flying. Yeah. From yeah. the Mount. What were the, to the mountain? Were the, were the spires for something or was it just to let off any static? Like, was it really just a, like a, an electricity dump? Is that what the purpose of those was? If we were given a purpose. Seems like to generate an atmosphere. We didn't really. Yeah. I don't okay. think that, I don't know that there was a, an explicit purpose described. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah. Um, it just seemed it like was a, definitely, to me, like I a, mean, some of it was related to whatever the propulsion was. Right. Yeah. That, that's um, what I was going to say. Yeah. I had something to do with that. The off. Okay. Okay. Off gassing of that or <laughs> something. Yeah. Well, like Aaron said, there's very little payoff in a lot of this, right? Like there's things just, to say hey this is a thing <laughs> like, yeah which is fine it, like it worked it like normally i'd be i don't know for some reason it worked the, the simp thing was a little difficult that was like oh, why did we so yeah that we was have, <laughs> we have monkey maids like why do we have to have a chapter on monkey maids but that's cool <laughs> i get it all right but yeah you could have also said nothing about it and <laughs> i it wouldn't have occurred wouldn't to me that, yeah it wouldn't have occurred to me that there was no one there to make the bed right. <laughs> if he hadn't said this is how the beds get made <laughs> world building dude <laughs> i guess so i you, guess i guess ultimately it's <laughs> were you guys expecting um obviously you weren't necessarily expecting it just to be an evolving sort of drone robot the whole entire time were you expecting there to be a, an alien to pop out at one point or futuristic human race or something like that or, or were you thinking oh there's you know there really isn't gonna be i kind of went back and forth i think yeah between yeah. expecting and i and i don't think the i didn't expect the um kind of the robotic staff um yeah <laughs> to appear right. yeah uh, that was wild that was like i could see the crab things right because we have roombas now right so that makes that makes a form of sense to me that there is a way for the ship to care for itself on its way through. Right. Um, but yeah, I think most of the book I was expecting an alien until I got down to like the last hour. And then it was like, there's no way we're meeting aliens in this. And if we're yeah. going to meet an alien in the last 45 minutes of this book, it's going to be such a garbage dump of it's either going to be a total info dump and it's just going to get terrible or I'm just going to be like really bummed that we didn't get more information on the alien. So mm-hmm. I think when, yeah, when I was in like, what was it like a nine hour read more or less, I think like a nine hour or nine hour listen. 300 pages or so. Yeah. 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 So right around hour eight, I was like, there's no way we're meeting the aliens or at least I hope we don't at this point. So, right. but yeah, I did. I thought we were going to see aliens the whole time. I thought we were going to get to see something that was so, not disappointed. But just yeah. So here's a, here's a question that I had. So speaking of the the you know caretakers or whatever, the little uh, spider bot that uh, one of them falls off and and is killed, and the the um, I can't I can't remember her name. The the one woman in the story with the, <laughs> with the big floaty boobs, Laura. Yes. Yes. Who's yeah. Her, her zero G bosoms were very distracting to the men's. I'm going to get back to that. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but so she, she takes it to autopsy it. Yeah. And to take it apart. And that it ends with her screaming and, you know, having a hysterical fit or something. And then they don't really ever tell you what it was that, that set her off. Yeah. Do we, do we have any idea what it was that? I think it was just that it was, I think that it was kind of a cross between biological and that's what it was. Cybernetic. I think it was just like, I think it was a a cross between not silicone based, but like a, a manufactured thing and a biological thing, a data if you will, from next generation. Right. I think that's what freaked her out. I, Not yeah. sure why that caused a hysterical fit. Yeah. But then Other that gets than, into the whole floaty you know, booby thing too. So Right. <laughs> that that was kind of my ultimate takeaway was that, oh, she's a, a weak woman who can't, you know, handle such a concept, even though right. she's 
you know, a, a, an astronaut and explorer and, and clearly, and, you know, well-versed in biology and yeah, or would not have been sent. Right. <laughs> right. I thought that she was, was just excited about the bionics of it, that it wasn't just robotic. Like you said, Gavin kind of just, was, yeah. yeah. And she was also there to be, you know, the, the love interest to the captain in addition to his other two wives that he has I, on two different okay. planets. It's, like, uh, yeah, I want to talk about this. <laughs> now we just I got mean, over I guess a, the seventies, but we just got on. over a book that was all about big titted women using big tits and titting their way into That's the connection. That's why I picked this book. <laughs> <laughs> I, it really bummed me out. And I talked to Alice about this the other day. It really bummed me out that we have women in space in a hundred years time that have to, secure their bosom to not distract the poor distractible red-blooded american men from literally crashing spaceships which he says there was an accident and it was her fault because her tits were like out swinging undoubtedly in space. right i told alice that's offensive to men and yeah. i'm not a woman i assume it's offensive to women as well yeah <laughs> but like if men can't handle that, why the fuck are they going into space? Wouldn't you exactly. just send women into space? <laughs> I have a real problem. Like I actually, yeah. and we'll get to that in a minute. This, it, that is the scene that made me choose my next book. Cause it's my next, and I won't get into what uh, my okay. book is now, but that's the scene that made me go the direction that I'm going with my next book. Okay. Interesting. And the two wives thing, like I'm married. I would not want a second wife. There's a lot of things in the world I want. Two wives that know each other is just yeah, that weird was bizarre, to me. Right? I don't I don't even understand like what the advantage of that would be. Why would you want two wives on two separate planets? Like what apparently just two chances to have a son, you know, to 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 be but your heir, I guess. I don't your know. Swimmers, on I mean, planets. They, they froze as swimmers and they had population control. So the more wives you have, they were, he went into detail about population control, about trying to get on everybody Earth, to they calm had down. Population control, right? Sure. Not yeah. on other okay. planets. And one of his wives was from earth. So like calm that shit down. Like, I don't know. I didn't, I don't understand. That was just weird to me. That was just really like, why are you putting this in this book? What? Yeah. It didn't that really make? strike me as anything that. other than some kind of, male fantasy you know like oh we're, I we're so playing well on the box the, the office is allowed 2023 right. well that's yeah, that's the thing though is it it, it has yeah. very little bearing on the story at all other than you know oh he has to he has to remember when he writes these letters right. that are going to be duplicated to both wives there was to a, not mention stuff that only one of them knows about. <laughs> there was a copy paste joke in there. He's yeah. like, it's become so much easier now that I could just, you know, change a couple of minor details and just send off both letters. Like, yeah. I, I wonder if that's like, different in the seventies though. Like if the, having that capability you, was like, Oh shit. You think, this Ar guy can you think Arthur paste. C. Clarke was going to like, <laughs> you think Arthur C. Clarke was going to like key parties and shit. I don't know. I don't, like, Dude's got it. Made. I don't want to think about that. I don't know, man. I don't know. But that really, that bummed me out. I was like the, yeah. the big, the, the floaty tits in space was just like, okay, that is completely unnecessary. And especially coming off the book we just did. Like right. that was just like, dude, like that's not what this book is about. You're not lending anything to this book. You're not adding anything. Yeah. It's like Chekhov's boobs, right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand that. And the two wives thing was just weird. I don't understand. Like, fine, if that's part of the story, I get it. But tell me why that's important. Tell me what, wh yeah, what bearing it, that it. actually has. Like, why yeah. are you bringing that up? Because. Yeah. It's just kind of weird. And you look like a creepy old man. And I'm, I'm sorry. I love you. And I'm glad that you're in sci-fi and you've contributed a lot. But what? I, like, I don't know. That's it's just also connecting the theme of all of my books. They always have a creepiness <laughs> to them. And I'm not old either, baby. <laughs> That's true. I'll have to go back and look at the rest creepy of Creepy young man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are the other books I started with? Hmm. I don't know. Well, you did Krampus. That wasn't, that was calling myself out. I don't out. I'm getting a little worried now. Oh boy. That's funny. Oh boy. <laughs> no, it was, so, I, I enjoyed it. I just, I just didn't understand that bit. That was, that part was just like, I just had to, I just had to in my own head say, okay, well, Arthur C. Clarke was an old dude in the early seventies, which was 50 years ago. So it was a different time. And maybe that was just, 
that was just standard fare. And I guess sci-fi back then probably really was mostly just a guy's club. So yeah. I'm just going to yeah. product of his time and we'll just gloss over that. But it was, it was a bummer. It doesn't make it okay. <laughs> it doesn't make it okay. No, yeah. but uh, whatever. It didn't destroy the book for me. I did like the, uh, and well, you mentioned the, uh, the colonists on Mercury. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the conflict introduced by, you know, the, the missile that they launched, um, that kind of stationed itself near Rama ready to destroy it. Um, and, and I thought he did a decent job of making you understand why they would do that. Yeah. Um, because of their position within, you know, the, the, the human society as a whole. Uh, and then I also, the tension of the guy who's going to go out to it to disarm it. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, the time that he has and the time that it'll take for any of the cameras on the missile to transmit images back to Mercury. <laughs> and then for any signal that they send to make it to the missile, like that was, right. that was, that was cool. That was cool. Yeah. I enjoyed the shit out of that. I thought that was great. That was, yeah, that was a very uh, heist movie moment. Yeah. That and was then, really cool. Cause like you can't then, get away with like, you're going to see you doing it right. Like, you know, they're right. going to see you do it. Yeah. You just have to have it done before then. Yeah. But why are the wires on the outside of the missile? <laughs> <laughs> were they on the outside like, i don't even know yeah yeah, yeah. call this he number a, to talk to doctor or whatever or yeah something just, on the outside of it right. yeah <laughs> yeah there right. was yeah. like yeah for technical problems call our office <laughs> at. and then the, and the, yeah and then the two groups of wires for like the control and the detonation were like on the outside and all he needed was a pair of wire cutters and i was just like like okay i get that it's a space-bound thing and you're not going to have somebody on the missile cutting wires but wouldn't you worry about micrometeorites like nicking a wire or something? Right. It just seemed like a really bad design. Yeah. <laughs> That's not author problems. It's a bad design problem, especially when you got to put the technical phone number, the technical help desk on the outside of the thing. I thought that I was like that ultimately um, he managed to, because it, it was starting to move toward Rama. Yeah. And he managed to move it off the, uh, you know, the intercept line by pushing it with his, you know, Scooty Puff Jr. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was, I did enjoy that bit. I thought that yeah. was fun. That was an exciting bit. That was like, oh shit, is he really going to get nuked? Like, I, right. there was actual suspense in that. In a book that did not have a tremendous amount of suspense, that for me, that was other than a general kind of like, what the hell is this thing doing in our solar system? Yeah. Um, well, the other yeah. part that got me was yeah. the cylindrical C when they mm. get down into that and the, the waves coming after them, uh, which yeah. is very interstellar-ish to me, but, uh, yeah, yeah. You'd see, I, I thought you could that, see that fingerprints in interstellar. Mm -hmm. That was, yeah, that was, that was a, an intense yeah. part that, right. Especially what, like you said, Aaron, where you could look up and see, you know, they even mentioned like the glaciers breaking up and stuff like that above. And mm -hmm. I think at one point they, they wake up from, a sound or something like that that they hear when the cylindrical sea is starting they, to melt yeah and the ice is starting to crack yeah. you know they had already been there for like days or, or you know weeks at that time and nothing really new had happened so they were just exploring this you know very sterile environment and for mm -hmm. them to wake up to this crazy noise and right Especially like even I mean, the lights turning changed. on and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah just... Well, just a, the little bits of wind that nobody really noticed because you just, you wouldn't notice that, right? Mm -hmm. You wouldn't notice that your, your hair is blowing around in a wind and you wouldn't mm -hmm. think like, oh shit, wait, no, that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is going to become much more. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wait, I, ooh, yeah, hmm. <laughs> that yeah. wasn't there yesterday. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it was, I did enjoy the book. It was a good book. That was, yeah. I think that they could do some fun things in a movie Villeneuve style, especially his, like I was saying, he's so good at massive perspective. Like in 2049, he just had such grand you know, set and, design. And, yeah. They could color scheme and just, he's yeah, no, he could do, he could do a really, really good job. Yeah. I wonder if Morgan Freeman is going to be somebody. I wonder if Morgan Freeman will be a flashback of. <laughs> well, Cook. so 
Morgan Freeman wants to play, or at one point wanted to play Norton, who is the the captain. Court, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I think he, I think he still could. The character was clearly written as someone a little younger. That I mean, Morgan Freeman's in his eighties now. Right. I think um, you could pull that off because it's an experienced yeah. captain that everybody loved, right? Oh, yeah. That was in the in the radio, especially drama. if you write out the affair with the. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, get rid of that. Yeah. That would be awkward. Um, in the radio drama, the captain was known as a everybody's favorite. Everybody said, "Okay, so I'm just going to spoil the radio drama. I'm just going to drop some bombs. Don't bother yes, listening please. to it. It's two hours. It's okay." It starts out like there had been some crazy conspiracy that the Endeavor was trying to hide. It Hmm. starts, it's sort of like told from a reporter's perspective saying, what really happened? What did you really see? And all of these people, the crew. That's the framing device for At the Mountains of Madness. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. That's where it's the, the narrator is trying to dissuade people from doing a further further expedition huh. because he he was on this he was on this first expedition and his report left out a lot of the more horrific things uh. and now other people want to go there and explore and he's like no no you do not want to do that and let me tell you why oh that's funny this wasn't <laughs> yeah. exactly that but it was it it really hinted heavily that something had happened on rama that the the crew weren't talking about um, now it was only two hours. I mean, it was, I think it was like an hour 50. I mean, it's very, very short, but the captain was known. Everybody kept saying that was the best captain I'd ever had. That was like the, he was my favorite. I've never had a better time serving under somebody. So an older Freeman could pull that off and it mm-hmm. would make sense contextually. Right. So that would be okay. Um, yeah, and, 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 testimony yeah. about what had happened. Right. So yeah. Well, before. and in the end, I think the conspiracy was that they, stopped the missile at Mer- the Mercury's missile. I think they stopped it. And that was like the big secret that they didn't want to get out. Oh, so okay. not even a huge conspiracy at the end of the day, because Mercury would have known, right? I mean, you see the dude come and cut your wires. I mean, you're watching it, right? Until yeah. he cuts the camera wire. There's no big secret. So <laughs> yeah. just kind of weird, kind of a weird adaptation, but not Unless, terrible, just different. I mean, I could also see why Mercury wouldn't want other people to know that that had happened to them. Right. Sure. Know, yeah. That or that they about, were... Right? Or that they were just going to nuke a ship because they right. did, right? They said the Endeavor. They said you have one hour to leave. Shit's going to blow up in an hour, which Captain right. Norton said they couldn't even evacuate in an hour. They couldn't. They wouldn't have been able to evacuate in an hour. So Ner- Mercury really was just going to commit homicide, essentially, right? Like that was. So yeah, Mercury yeah. not not great. I did think <laughs> it was funny that they said anytime that an artist or a poet or an author was born on mercury they sent him back to the salt mines <laughs> yeah very very bland utilitarian Sparta. society yeah. yeah just like no no art here get out <laughs> that was that was pretty funny when i see a whole series based on this society and mercury like an hbo yeah. knockoff series <laughs> i am yeah, i am right. curious about the other Be books cool. like i am i'm curious if the other books are really fill out some more stuff with Rama or if they go to the other three ships or if we do get to meet the aliens. So, um, I'm not committed to getting them all. Yeah. Them all I am yet, a little but curious, I am, but I'm also reviews. Right. Yeah. Like the other, the other books were not nearly as well received. Oh no. No. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I'll read some, maybe I'll read some quick summaries. See yeah. Like Aaron was story. saying, it wasn't really Arthur C. Clarke at that point. I think it was right. Yeah. This was his more of his love child here. Right. Speaking yeah, I don't that, think it I worked out it on. as well as the um the pairing of Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell. Hmm. Um because Larry Niven was another writer who tended to be very kind of dry, big ideas, and then he wrote a couple books with Jerry Purnell that had much better human stories involved um so and of course Larry i got his ring world ring world yep which yeah. i got to thinking about a lot with this one as well i thought mm-hmm. about it but it's been so long since i've done ring world yeah uh, that's it's going to be in our future 
I should, yeah, I should go yeah. back and revisit. Well, I That'd won't if good. it's going to be in our future. I won't. But have you done? That, so we've all done Ringworld. It's right? been a long time. Mm-hmm. Since it's been it. probably fifteen years since I've done Ringworld. Ring was on the me, the yeah. list, the original list. Oh, that that's funny. This whole yeah. podcast. So. That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like it's an inevitability. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and well, you just of other books that are inspired. You said you had some uh, Heaven's Gate feelings in this, right? Well, Heaven's Gate. I was going to mention that. Mm-hmm. Being Bob Bob Book Four, if anybody continued with the Bobaverse, I've was, been doing that one recently. Yeah. In between, I was actually uh, you said just, Heaven's Gate, and I was thinking of the cult, and I was like, actually, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> well, yeah, yes, reminds me of yeah, different different Heaven's, Heaven's River, <laughs> Heaven's River. Oh, sorry, Heaven's River, Heaven's right, River. Sorry. Yeah, right. So it's, it just, I get definitely feelings that he got a little tidbits from Rama here, um, just because it's exploring a spacecraft of that we don't know much about that they're trying to break into. Right. And right. Just I feel like event little... horizon owes a little bit to this too. Ooh. Hmm. That's an awesome movie. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't seen, have you seen that Gavin? Which is it? Event horizon. Event horizon. I did. That was the Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, and God, that was years ago. Dude. Sam Neill. Yeah. Sam oh, Neill. Man. Yeah. I did. See that that. Movie I probably saw that on crazy. At the end. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I'll have to go back and re- I'll have to find that. That's that's worth a watch. That. The the yeah. CGI is dodgy as shit, but that's all right. it's yeah, worth it's it. contextual. Everything's yeah. you got to watch movies contextually. Movies Even for the time, it was dodgy. Oh shit. really? Oh, like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. But it's a fantastic movie, right? Huh? Wait, Willis. No, we're not. But again, it's you know kind of uh, investigating a. Uh, a derelict derelict right. ship and uh it even has you know it, it has this long middle section right that you have to traverse i'm trying to remember i'm trying to remember it i yeah uh, like they they took a ship it goes full hard right? yeah like, right yeah i'm trying to remember oh i know i've seen it and i know i think i remember liking it yeah I think the only other movie that I can think of where they basically parked a ship on the edge of something was the original Black Hole from way oh, yeah. back in the day, which was, if I remember correctly, really, really, really bad. <laughs> I think it was. That was one of my earliest horror experiences, though, seeing really? that at a very young age. And when they, you know, the guys with the, the mirrored masks on. Oh, yeah. And when somebody like comes up and finally takes one of them off, and that the face behind I don't that remember. I don't remember the face behind nightmares that. from that. Well, I'm gonna have to track that down now too. I'll have to track down both of those. So it'll be my homework to catch up on both of those. There you go. So, good homework yeah, the from ri- the podcast. The original black <laughs> hole from way back in the day in Event Horizon. Just yeah. to fill out some fill out some Arthur E. Clarke nooks and crannies. Heck yeah. Fill Speaking of homework. Have you done your Bob the Builder homework? I do have a Bob the Builder. <laughs> your Bob the Builder homework. My Bob the Builder homework. Not everybody's. Although if people want to join in, they can join in. Um, I heard about the six degrees of... Bob the Builder. Yes, we can. Okay, so my Bob the Builder rendezvous with Rama was... Rendezvous with Rama had a radio adaption by Mike Walker. Who did other things? He did Neuromancer. Um, he does other. He's his entire. He's a radio dramatist. It's what he does. If you go to his page, that's all he's done is stuff for radio. That's like his whole wow. profession. So he's done that's a whole cool. bunch of shit. Um, yeah, it is right. Um, yeah. One of the things he did was back in 05, He had David Copperfield, the the I guess a radio version of David Copperfield. And in that is a character named Emily, who was played in this by Joanne Frogat, who some people will recognize, not me, some people will recognize um, as one of the sisters on Downton Abbey, the blonde one. I can't think of her name, but she was the blonde Hmm. sister on Downton Abbey. Okay. Um, I watched that show. I did, too. She was the the blonde one, the youngest one, right? I can't can't think of her name. Um, I watched it. I watched the first couple seasons of that. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's a really good period piece if you're into it. Although, what was it that Julian did that was better? What was the movie that he did? Oh hell! Oh, I don't know. 
Oh, it'll come to you later. <laughs> At any rate. So um, Joanne Froggett played Emily uh, on Froggett. the thing. One of the other things that she did, she played uh, Mary Jane Claremont in a movie uh, in 2017 called Mary Shelley. Uh, it was about Mary Shelley. That's foreshadowing. Uh, Joanne was also Wendy and Bob the Builder Mega Machines. So we have not only okay. a connection to Bob the Builder, we have yet another Wendy. So it makes you wonder how many Wendy's there are. <laughs> but there we go. So yeah, rendezvous with Rama to um, Bob the Builder very quickly, mostly through nice. Downton Abbey, strangely enough. But yes. So mm, very well done. I heard about the six degrees of. Yeah, that's that. Easy. Julian Phillips did Tomorrow Never Dies, the Bond movie, and the Hobbit series, I believe, right? Who did? Something like that. Who? Julian Fellows. Oh, uh, possibly. The writer of Downton Abbey, one of the writers. Yeah, but he did a movie that was, it was all about upstairs, downstairs, and I can't think of the, I cannot remember the name of it. It was the same time frame as Downton Abbey. And I cannot think I'm of that, that one. Movie. All right. Well, whatever. Find it. It's great. Yeah. If you like that sort of period <laughs> piece of drama, it's really good. And it's all about the interactions of the upstairs people and the downstairs people. Um, it's really, I, I enjoyed it more than Downton Abbey. But. It's definitely not the people under the stairs. No, different movie. Okay. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I was movie. thinking of when you said that. <laughs> I know. No, I can't think awesome of Awesome movie. Uh, can't, can't think of the damn movie. It's not that Suzanne Vega song. No, no, different, okay. different video. <laughs> okay. This movie was a little longer. <laughs> now I'll, whatever. It's just Google it. I'll, it'll come to me. It'll come to me in the middle of the night. I'll wake up Alice and tell her the name of the movie and she'll tell me to shut up. And get back to sleep. There we go. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you guys enjoyed, enjoyed the book overall. Um, I, I think did. Yeah. In did. general, I, I, I can't wait to hear more about Villeneuve's movie which doesn't seem like it's yeah. gonna be anytime soon so we'll keep well he needs to do dune first everybody get off of his back and let him finish dune <laughs> i need him to finish dune yeah so yeah. which also i we should say christopher walken is the emperor but he does need to do it while morgan freeman is still alive yes i think so he'll live yeah. to 100 so he's got yes, time sir. hopefully yeah so. christopher walken as the emperor in dune i don't know i would love to see I texted you guys this. I would love to see John Malkovich as one of the weird Harkonnens or like some fucked up Mentat. Yeah, right. I think John Malkovich would make a really great twisted Mentat. Like, yeah. could you see him as Piter? Like, how awesome would that be? Yeah. I feel like that's not that the Piter we had was bad. You just didn't or have had it, or had enough screen time to actually get really weird. Right. But mm -hmm. I would love to see John Malkovich in a, in a really like a fucked up Mentat role or something like that. I think would be phenomenal. Yeah. The, but, the guy that played uh, Piter DeVries in the movie was also in uh, Villeneuve's movie Prisoners, which right. wasn't not my favorite of his, but he was fantastic in it. He's been in a he couple of, of other things, too, right? He's been in a few other things, too, I think. He has. Yeah. Yeah. That's the can't even one, picture who, who can't it think was. Of off the top of my head. Yeah, he wasn't in the movie very much. You wouldn't really. recognize him without the little line on his lip. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So what's the uh, what's the yeah. Mary Shelley connection? Okay. So the foreshadowing for Mary Shelley <laughs> is when I read, and this all ties into the floaty booby thing. It occurred to me that we haven't done too many female authors. We had uh, Catherine Dunn with Geek Love, and I'm not sure that we've had another one. And then it occurred to me that I don't know how many people of color have done books that we've read so far. And I feel like personally, we could probably do better than that because it's not like there's a, a there's not a desert of books. So I had actually I had considered literally Googling female woman of color sci fi author and just picking whatever the top hit was because I wanted to. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> yeah, a butler. So, I know. Right. So, I mean, it's out there. Right. Like and we all know it's out there and we haven't done it. So. But then it She's occurred to me, it occurred to me that if you, if you really look into it, the first sci-fi book was written by a woman mm -hmm. and massively credited as the first woman. Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, 
1818, and it is credited with being the first sci-fi book. So we're doing Frankenstein. Hell yeah. Frankenstein. We're going to do, do the old Frankenstein. Fantastic. It is Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus. And she wrote it back in 1818. And a lot of people know the story about how she wrote it. She was married to a dude uh, named Shelley, surprisingly. Her and Shelley and Lloyd Byron and another guy, his name was, uh, where is it? Um, oh, it's in here somewhere. Uh, Byron's personal physician, uh, <laughs> Palladori. They went out to Geneva, Switzerland, to Lord Byron's estate, got really fucked up for an entire week or a weekend or something, and challenged each other to write horror stories. And that's where Frankenstein came from. But also, and this has nothing to do with Damn, what we're cool. doing, Polidori wrote the first vampire novel, which predates Dracula by almost 100 years, 70, 80 years or something. It's the first English vampire novel. Not the first time vampires were written about, but the first vampire novel was this. And that vampire was based on Lord Byron. Not that, again, that has anything to do with anything. But <laughs> we are. We're doing Frankenstein. Um, it is in public domain. There's tons of different versions out there. Uh, from what I've read, Dan Stevens, ah. I think, is the best um, the best one to it's listen to. Is that the uh, Dan Stevens of Downton Abbey? Yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> Connection. Uh, the only reason that I, I know, because he's also, he's been in uh, some very good horror as well. Yeah, he's, huh. he's uh, he definitely, he has the cred to read this book. Um, uh, Simon Vance also reads a version of it that's very well loved. Uh, I can't think of what else Simon Vance has done, but I'm sure that in this podcast he's read something that we've listened to. And if not, I know that we've all listened to him doing something. Um, but any version is good. I personally, I'm going to do the the dance the the Dan's version. Um, so yeah, so that's our book, and that's and the Dan version. We're doing the Dan Stevens. Uh, we're doing Dan Stevens version. Um, and it should be good. It should be really interesting. First sci-fi book, 1818. It's going to have some difficult language. Uh, I thought about that after I decided on it. I was like, oh, man, hell. Wait a minute. Have you read it? This is another one that I know. Have I've any of you read, read it? It's been a long time. I, I read yeah. it literally 20 or 25 years ago. Yeah. I have read it. Um, but it was a long, 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 long time, time ago. Yeah. I went um, for about a month. I was reading all the quote unquote classics. I read this. I read Dracula. Um I read Island of Dr. Moreau um, and some others, but I have, I have read this. So technically it fits. I've read it. So, but this also awesome. gives us a reason to watch all the classic movies. It gives you a reason to watch young Frankenstein by Mel Brooks. Cause there's always a reason, a reason to watch that. that. <laughs> I know. I know. Right. Like it's like, Oh, it's Tuesday. I'm going to watch yeah. that movie. <laughs> That's, but I'm excited because the book, the, the book is very different than the story we think we know. Yeah. Um, it's it's a lot more fleshed out than the classic, the classic Lon Chaney's and shit like that. So it should be, should be a lot of fun. Hopefully, the language yeah, might be a hangover, but I it. hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and there's also a movie. I think it was 1984. There's a movie called Gothic. It's not a well loved oh, yeah. movie, but it is about the night that Shelley and Byron and Percy and all these people were all fucked up on hallucinogenics writing these stories. It's a oh, sort of a horror movie. Um, is that uh, Tommy Lee Jones? No, this is no? way... No, this is before anybody. Um, I don't think Tommy <laughs> Lee Jones is in it. There's American Gothic is another movie. There's a bunch of movies with Gothic, but this was in 84, and it's just yeah. called Gothic. But it's about the... It's not easy to find. I've spent the last couple of days trying to find it. It's not terribly easy to find. But it is out there. So it might be fun <laughs> to watch that too if you're into the story of the story. So Yeah, so that's what we're doing. First, first arguably, arguably the first sci-fi book. I've never read it, so I'm uh, excited. Should be arguably good. Arguably the first horror as well, I've heard. There's, there's people that say horror and people that say sci-fi. I'm going sci-fi because it works whatever but that's again i i it's one of those things that can be both blurry lines you know no totally yeah. yeah i mean it's about a dude that like makes a monster out of dead people that's pretty sci-fi it's also pretty horror so <laughs> i think it can sit comfortably in either camp um look forward to it awesome oh, okay so the 
Gothic was 1986. Oh, okay. With okay. Uh, Gabriel Byrne, Julian Sands, Natasha Richardson. That's the one. That's it. Yep, 86. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. I think the original the Frankenstein was, was written in 84. That's why I was thinking 84. <laughs> no, <laughs> that was... <laughs> and Ken Russell with an uncredited role as tourist. Yeah. <laughs> it's, again, not a well-loved movie, but it's an interesting... I do it remember watching it. Watch. I did watch it um, possibly on Betamax. I'm trying to remember what the <laughs> one that I was thinking of was. So, Nosferatu yeah. is a good... Is that a movie? Yeah, the original, the... Yeah, that's one of the original. I think it was the first vampire movie. That's the one I'm thinking of. I think I was going to say. I want to say 1930, 1931. Oh, is it 20? 22. Yeah. Okay. We play that. I I have a. We have a projector. We project that on a house for Halloween every year. Just because you're not missing anything. Yeah. If you there's no there's no audio, so we just project it. You just get creepy. Yeah. Even the non, even the non vampire shots are strange. Yeah, just <laughs> it's just weird and disconcerting feeling. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we that's a that's a classic. Well, we we have uh, certainly lots of homework to take care of before now and next episode, and yeah. hopefully, oh, well, and and also it makes Bob the Builder harder because I've already blown out Joanna mm. Froggett or Joanne Froggett, you don't get to use her for Bob the Builder if you're following along at home. So I've already blown that out. <laughs> we'll have to, just find to, we've, uh, to find a different route. <laughs> we've reused reused routes before. We've reused people, but I've already called this one. Like, I already called out that there's this, because I mentioned Joanne Froggett doing the movie Mary Shelley. So that path is now broken. You can reuse Joanna, Joanne Froggett, but you can't go that direction. You have to go a different direction. So, may have shot you, myself Aaron, in the I, foot. I don't do these. <laughs> I can't keep yeah, up with you. my book, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't have I'll, to do that one, too. I'll look into it. I'll see what I can find. Yeah. I may have shot myself in the foot, but we'll see. <laughs> it, it can, can always, be done. The connection can always be drawn. baby. Yeah, I, all I yeah, can always... as many adaptations of uh, of Frankenstein as there have been, I'm sure there's yeah a way be, to do it. I'm sure there's got to be yeah. I mean, how you can probably connect Dan Stevens to uh, right <laughs> to Bob the Builder, probably yeah, probably <laughs> it's in there somewhere. Little did you know he was in episode 592 <laughs> as as Wendy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you hear to hear first, folks. He was yeah. in episode five ninety two. That's right. And we hope you enjoy this episode um, yes. with rendezvous with Rama. And next week, make sure to Not certainly next week. read. Oh yeah, next Not month next week. probably. <laughs> next next several weeks, yeah. <laughs> Frankenstein, yeah. get it yeah. done. Yes, and uh, we'll be here. We always will be here. I'm never going anywhere. This has been the Hologram Media Club podcast. Hope you've enjoyed. Yeah.